This is episode 93 of the CB Northwest and Camp Tadmore Events Podcast. We're continuing Women's Camp 2010, The Transforming Freedom of Forgiveness with Dawn Smith-Jordan. This is session two from Saturday. Oh man, I just tell you what, I feel like I'm not needed up here. That worship, that monologue, that song, I love that better than a hallelujah. I don't know where she went, but man, that's one of my favorites. Where are you? Oh, it's so good, so good. Thank you for singing, so good. I, I want to um, clear up one thing because uh, one lady pointed out to me, and I'm so glad she did because she said, you, uh, she grabbed me today somewhere, wherever we were in lunch line or something, and she said, you referred to a scripture in 2 Kings and you never told us where. Don't you hate that? So if you had your notes from last night, I'll just tell you it's 2 Kings 18, 5 through 7. Okay, everybody happy? Because I do want you to know what that reference was. It's 2 Kings 18, 5 through 7. Okay, so I, I have a card that my girlfriend sent to me for Mother's Day um, a couple years ago now. Y'all can you see? Y'all can see her on the front. It says she gets up before dawn to prepare breakfast for her household and plan the day's work for her servant girls. Proverbs thirty-one fifteen. And then you open up and it says, "Where are those servant girls when we need them?" <laughs> You're looking at mine. <laughs> I love that, but I want to sing a song that I, I, um, I wrote for my mom, and I don't hardly sing this song, and I just, the Lord put it on my heart to sing, and so I think I'm supposed to sing it here, and I did have the privilege of singing this song for my mom's funeral, and it is a song taken out of Proverbs 31 where it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. It's fleeting. But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. And girls, you want to be beautiful. I tell this to my beautiful daughter all the time. Hannah, it's got to come from the inside out. The outside's going to go away. But the inside beauty is what counts. And it goes on to say in Proverbs 31, her children rise and call her blessed. And I tell you what, I was blessed to have a mama that prayed for me and prayed that, first of all, God would save her children and then second of all, that he would use our lives for his glory. And moms, I heard a pastor's wife in Oklahoma tell uh, a bunch of us at a women's retreat years ago, she said, the best advice I can give you moms for raising your children is to raise your children on your knees. Isn't that good advice? So, get this pedal over here. <laughs> she is wild on this keyboard. I love it. I love watching her. But, oh, I just thank you again, worship band. Y'all are just so, oh, what a blessing. So good. Thank y'all so much. Tony said he had, he pulled up a picture of my kids that he was going to show y'all on the big screen, and I just couldn't say no. So where are they? <laughs> Aren't they pretty? <laughs> Yay! <laughs> And don't you dare show that other one. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. And, y'all, I have to tell you that even from Oregon, last night I got to the room and I signed on to Facebook. And Ross has a curfew that at 1 o'clock in the morning, South Carolina time, the computer is off, the Xbox is off, the cell phone is off, and he is in the bed. And so at 11 o'clock here, which is 2 o'clock at home, I get on Facebook, I'm scrolling down chat, and Ross is on the computer. <laughs> and I scared the living daylights out of him. <laughs> I said, what are you doing on the computer? He goes, crap. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, sign off now. Good night. He says, I love you, night. He's gone. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Isn't that hilarious how God just works in mysterious ways? And don't you know, all day on the way to the beach today, he's riding in that car with his dad going, oh, God, please don't let mom tell dad. Please don't let mom tell dad. 
Oh, my goodness. I, I want to tell you about somebody that came to my room today, and it was just a very sweet thing, and I hope I don't embarrass her. Um, but I, I was in the room getting ready to head over this way, and a knock on the door came, and I thought it was Mary or somebody in the hall and opened the hall, and there was nobody there. And so I opened the front door, and this precious face greeted me with tears in her eyes, and precious, precious young lady named Anna, I'll just say her name, Precious, and she said, "Are you, I just felt impressed um, about you today. Are you doing okay? And y'all, I don't think I've ever had that happen except for people that are on like the staff of the retreat or something to come and ask me, am I okay? And most of the time somebody comes to my door because they need somebody to pray with them or they want to talk about something. And to be honest, I was rushing. I was trying to get over here and she said, I just want to check on you and I just wondered if I could pray for you. And I was just blessed by that, and I don't know where you are, but that just meant the world to me because she said, I'm just trying to be obedient, and it's not easy, and she was a little nervous, and she was tearful. And um, that really meant a lot to me because my mom was my prayer warrior, and she would be grateful that you cared to come and be obedient and to just pray for this simple mama coming up here to speak tonight. And so, ladies, always be obedient when the Lord impresses something on your heart. Whether you feel like you feel dumb or weird or uncomfortable, do it because God will use you to minister to somebody else. And it just meant a lot to me, and so I thank you, Anna. Wherever you are, it really did mean a lot. Well, I want to tell you that... Um, uh, Raw, I'm going to talk tonight on forgiveness, and um, Ross came running in the house when he was younger, and he would scream with a bloody knee or a skinned elbow, I need a boo-boo! And I'm looking at him, I'm going, you got one. <laughs> Mom, I need a boo-boo for my band-aid! You know, moms, it's the most amazing thing that all we have to do is put a little Neosporin on it, put a Band-Aid on it, kiss it. We are miraculous healers. It is amazing, isn't it? And he would run off and he would be cured and he would be healed and all would be well. But it was so funny because Hannah and I would always just look at each other and laugh when he did that because he needed a boo-boo for his Band-Aid. And I've thought about that. And as I talk tonight a little bit about forgiveness, um, you know, the boo-boos of life don't just get healed by a simple Band-Aid and a little Neosporin and a kiss, do they? Sometimes the healing process is a lot more painful than the actual wound because the, the wound comes and it's over, but the process is what is so painful. And I, I didn't have the opportunity to sit in on the first session today. I really wanted to. I just didn't, didn't get to make it on the battery being... Um, what was it, uncharged or about to lose its charge? I really wanted to hear it, and I hate that I missed that. But I was able to sit in on the one on forgiveness, and I just so appreciated what she shared because it is a process, and sometimes it takes years. And I actually wrote the song I'm going to sing uh, for you now with my husband, and it was at a time when he was my husband still, and we were going through a very difficult time in a ministry in a church where he was the pastor, and we asked a very simple question. Why does healing have to hurt so much? Psalm 147.3 is the good news tonight, that Jesus came to heal the brokenhearted and to bind up their wounds. You know, I love coming to a retreat like this where, um, really, I, don't, I can't leave. I'm here with you. And I love the opportunity of being here and getting to just listen to you talk at lunch, standing in the lunch line, hanging out at the book table and just hearing a little bit about some of you. Gosh, I, you know what? In heaven, we're going to just get to tell it all. And I look forward to hearing every story. But you know what? I know that in a room of this many women, there are a bunch of stories represented here. And ladies, I don't know why God allowed me to be the one to come all the way from South Carolina <laughs> to share with you this weekend. And sometimes I just scratch my head and go, are you kidding me? Why me? But I do know that this is a holy time and that God has ordained this time. And this topic is very important in our lives, very important in getting on with life. And so we are going to look at the question during our time together. I can't see, so that's good. <laughs> How far must forgiveness go? Have you ever asked yourself that question? 
How far do we have to go to forgive? Well, I, I think I told you that I homeschooled my kids. Did I tell you? Yeah, I did. And we used to spend a lot of time in the car, a lot of time in the minivan. And the kids seemed like it was then when we were in the van all trapped together on the way to somewhere where mom was going to sing or speak that they would decide to fight in the back seat. Yes, you, you relate? And it was just such a miserable thing because I'm in the front seat getting ready to go be the speaker lady somewhere, and I'm trying to get all prayed up and spiritual, and my kids are being so bad. And so this was one of those trips, and Hannah and Ross were just having at it in the back seat, and I know that I did what none of y'all have ever done. I yelled at my kids, I'll just tell you. Only time I ever did. And I just screamed at the top of my lungs, children, God says we're to be kind to one another. As I go in the restroom and y'all have the lovely, be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgiving each other just as God in Christ is also forgiven you. Yes, that is the scripture that I screamed at my kids in the car. And then I got myself together. <laughs> and I said, excuse me, I'm very sorry. Please forgive me. But it was a time in our lives when I thought I was trying to teach my children what it means to forgive. Little did I know that God was working on me, that he was teaching me a lesson that he had taught me years earlier and I was needing to remember again. I loved what Sherry said today in the session that sometimes it isn't a one-time fix, but you have to choose over and over and over again to choose forgiveness for the hurts of life. And so I stepped in and I said, you know, Ross, man, God says you're to be kind to Hannah. Were you being kind to your sister? And... um. Actually, it was, sorry, let me go back up. I'm going too far ahead of the story. It, I'll just always blame it on I'm in the wrong time zone. So how's that when I just totally get lost? No, first of all, Hannah made Ross mad. Okay, here we go. So I said, Hannah, you know, honey, were you treating your brother with kindness? And she very sweetly said, no, ma'am. They were about three and six at the time. And I said, well, what do you think the Lord would have you say to your brother? And very sweetly from the back of the van comes this, I'm sorry, Rousey. I said, well, honey, what do you think, um, Ross, what do you think you should say to Hannah? And, oh, his little voice, he's 14, and he's got the voice like this, Mom. But he used to have this tiny little voice, and I said, son, what do you think you should say to Hannah? And he said, that's okay, Hannah. <laughs> and I said, you know what, sweetie, it's not okay, because Hannah said she's sorry she wasn't treating you with kindness. And so what do you think you should say to your sister? I said, you know, forgiveness is not saying to somebody that has hurt you, that's okay. Because a lot of times it might not be okay. And so what we do is we are like Jesus and we look at them. And because Jesus said, I forgive you, we can say to them, I forgive you. Because Jesus on the cross said, Father, forgive them. And I said, so honey, do you understand that you can forgive? Because Jesus has forgiven you. And he sat there and he thought. And I said, so what do you think you should say to your sister? He thought and he thought. And he said, that's okay, Hannah. <laughs> so then we were in the van another time and they were fighting again. I mean, can you believe it? I'm in the ministry. They're not supposed to fight. And I stepped in again, and I said, okay, this time Ross made Hannah mad. And, buddy, Hannah is easygoing. She's so easy. But if anybody can ruffle her feathers, it is Ross man because he is the strong-willed child. And so once again I stepped in, and I said, Hannah, Ross, Hannah, you know, guys, you're fighting again. And I've told you it's not a good idea to fight because we're to be kind to one another. And so Ross man what do you think you should say to your sister? And he very sweetly said, I'm sorry, Hannah. And I said, well, Hannah, what do you think you should say to your brother? She said, it's not okay. <laughs> I thought, okay, well, somewhere in the middle of here, we're not getting this. But you know what? Isn't that like we are, ladies? We are either like Ross going, oh, it's okay. It's okay. Don't worry about it. I'll get over it eventually. 
Or we're like Hannah and we're saying, it's not okay and I ain't going to forgive you ever. I'm going to make sure you pay for the rest of your life what you have done to me. And aren't you so grateful? Wasn't that just the best monologue tonight about God's forgiveness? Because let him without sin tonight or her cast the first stone. My stone would be hitting the ground. Ladies, Ephesians 4.32 is the scripture that we're going to look at in our time tonight. And I know we're late, so I'll try not to go so long. But it says this, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as God through Christ has also forgiven you. Can I pray? Father God, this is such a serious message. And Lord, each time I stand to share this, I just ask that you would bind the enemy from this place because there are women here tonight that need to be set free. God, I pray that my words would not be mine because I can't say anything to these ladies that will make a bit of difference. But God, it has got to be you. And so right now, Holy Spirit, we welcome you to do what only you can do. Come and set the captive free so that she can experience the freedom that forgiveness in you, from you, and that she can extend to the one that has hurt her, what that means. Lord, your word says, whom the Son has set free, he's free indeed. Would you set us free tonight? Thank you, Lord, for what you're going to do. Use me as a simply, just a vessel, God. I'm nobody apart from you. But by your grace tonight, I stand firm to speak what you put in my mouth to say, trusting you to minister as only you can. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Ladies, I received a letter from the man that killed Sherry. And I know some of y'all were not here last night. And you said you only came for today just to just give you a very simple, uh, brief uh, synopsis, my sister Sherry uh, in 1985 at 17 was kidnapped and she was murdered. And I just shared last night what it is to trust God through the hard times of life. And so tonight I really want to focus on after we've learned to trust God with the past and with the heartaches, what do we do when it's an offense that has taken place against us? And as this man called our home eight different times during a, a large manhunt in South Carolina, the largest our state has yet to see, uh, eight different phone calls he made to where he le uh, left directions with me on the phone uh, leading to my sister's body. And then a few weeks later, he called again, and he read some directions to where a precious nine-year-old little girl's body was also found. He killed them both during that month-long investigation. And then in the very last phone call that he made to our home, he said, Dawn, did you know that it's God's will that you join Sherry? It's just a matter of time. And you can't be protected always. Whether it's this month, next month, this year, next year, I will get you to. Your time is near. And he hung up the phone. I shared Sherry's letter of farewell, her last will and testament letter last night. And ladies, not only was that letter such an amazing gift to my family and a testimony of how Sherry in that room trusted God in the midst of horrific circumstances, but that was the very piece of evidence that led authorities to catching him. Because you know how you write your grocery list and you pull off that paper and an imprint from what was on it before is on that paper, an imprint of a phone number where he was house-sitting led to where he was. And so, praise God, I do not have to live the rest of my life wondering where that man is because I'll just tell you the nightmares came for years, waking up in the night thinking he was coming to get me. And God did a work in my life because he set me free from those. And so, years later, in 1985, he took Sherry's life. It was 1989. I was married. My husband and I were moving to Fort Worth, Texas, where he was going to get his um, seminary degree, and I was going to get my Ph.D., which meant put hubby through. And I started the process of writing a book on my family story. And it was interesting the way God is always at work in our lives, and his timing is just phenomenal to me. And uh, at the same time that I was writing this book, a movie was being done on our family story. And while all that was going on, you know what we do so well is we just suppress 
so many things that we don't want to remember. And I had done that. And all of a sudden, I was remembering, and I was reading newspaper articles again, and I was reading all those horrible phone call transcripts, and all these things were coming into my mind. And he had been sentenced to two death sentences on death row. And in 1989, I got a letter from a man named Larry Jean Bell who killed Sherry. And it was a very strange letter, very long, very bizarre. But one thing he said in there would not leave me alone. He said, while here on death row, I have met Jesus Christ. And I've asked God to forgive me for the horrible things that I have done. Dawn, will you and your family ever forgive me? Now, I'm going to tell you what I did. I didn't do the Christian thing. Because I took that letter and I shoved it in the bottom of a filing cabinet. And I went on about my life because I thought, how dare him? He even quoted a Bible verse in that letter. And he said something about if, if men... Uh, won't forgive me, then their father in if men don't forgive each other, then your father in heaven won't forgive you. And I thought, how dare him say that to me? As if God won't forgive me my sin, and this man has killed my sister. And I just crammed that thing in the bottom of a filing cabinet. But you know what? It wouldn't leave me alone. And for years, people would ask me. I would go share my testimony, pretty much what you heard last night, just sharing about trusting in the Lord to just survive at that time, to learn how to get on. When your life is shattered, all of a sudden, you don't even know how to get on. And so that's where I was for a long time, just learning how to live again. And somebody would come up to me and they would say, well, you didn't finish the story. What about the man? And how do you feel about him? I couldn't believe they'd ask me that. And I would give the Sunday school answer. Well, I've forgiven him. <laughs> and I thought I had because I thought I was doing really good not to hate this man for what he had done and the nightmare he had put my family through. But when he had been caught, my mom and I had to go to the jail cell where they were holding this man because the authorities wanted us to listen to his voice. We both had answered the phone calls, and they wanted us to hear this voice to see if it was indeed the man that we had been talking to. I sat in that room with my mom. I was 21, and he began to speak, and we both knew it was him. And my mom looked at him, and I will never forget this day. It is as clear in my mind as if it were yesterday. She looked at that man straight in the eyes, and I mean, ladies, we were this close to him, right here, this close in a very small little room, and my mom said in a very strong voice, I know you're the man that killed my daughter. She said, I have a face to go with the voice I can't stop hearing in my head, like a broken tape over and over and over, I hear your voice. And she said, I'm looking at you, and I'm hearing you, and I know that it's you, and I can honestly tell you, I don't even hate you. And I remember whipping my head at my mom and thinking, how can you say that? Mom said years later she knew that her heart was so full of pain. She said it was like a physical ache. Have you ever been there? She said she was so brokenhearted and so in grief over Sherry's death and all that her precious daughter had been through. My Hannah is going to be 17 Monday. That's how old Sherry was when this man took her life. Cannot imagine that loss. And my mom said that she just believed that because there was so much pain, God took care of it miraculously, and never was it an issue of unforgiveness in her heart. And so in 1989, he wrote me, and in 1991, I came to the place of sitting down at my kitchen table and writing him back. And I just began to pray, and what I said was something that Sherry said today in her session, God just help me to have the want to, because I don't care. I really don't care about him. I really didn't ever want to hear from him ever again. And so, God, if this is something you're calling me to, I know what your word says. I'm supposed to forgive. I know that. But, Lord, how in the world can I forgive this? So, God, you got to just help me to even be willing to say, okay, I'm willing to just be willing to let you do something here because I cannot do it. And you know what God did? He led me to his word. He led me to that scripture, Ephesians 4.32, which says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as God through Christ has also 
forgiven you. I want to ask you, if you will, to take your Bible and turn over to Matthew. I'm just going to read a, a passage in Matthew. It's Matthew 18, and it's the story of the unmerciful servant. While you're turning there, Matthew 18, and let me give you the verse. <laughs> We're going to start in 21. I want to tell you, when I was trying to teach my children about forgiveness, I was facing the issue. And you know what I thought? I thought learning to forgive a man that murdered my sister would have to be the hardest thing I'd ever forgive. But ladies, I want to tell you something. The hardest thing I ever had to forgive was my husband and the betrayal. And the details are in the past. I'm not going there because they're back there and I'm here today because of the grace of God. But there was an afternoon in the fall. We have, it feels like the fall here in South, what our fall in South Carolina feels like. And I love the fall because it's finally cooler and it's not 100 degrees with 100% humidity. And I was outside. We can finally go outside in the fall. <laughs> and I was outside with my children and they were on their swing sets and I was smiling on the outside. You know how we do. And I'd go to church and people would say, how are you? And what would I say? Fine. Fine. But I wasn't fine. But I said I was fine because that's what we do, isn't it? You know what? If you're not fine, you can tell a good friend you're not fine. It's okay. But I was fine. And I was in the backyard, and I was pushing the kids on the swings, and they were laughing and squealing and singing, saying, higher, Mommy, higher. And this was soon after my husband had walked out of our home, and I didn't know how I was going to do this. I didn't know how I was going to survive. How would I provide for my children? Oh, God, did, this is not okay with me. I was screaming on the inside while I was smiling on the outside. I felt like I was going to go crazy. Have you ever been there? just crying out to God, but holding it together on the outside, but on the inside, just knowing I wasn't going to make it one more minute. And I cried out to the Lord, oh God, this is not okay. I never wanted this. Oh God, what about my children? And it was as if the Lord just whispered to my heart of hearts. I didn't hear words. But I looked up at that crisp blue sky with the leaves with all their colors. And it was as if God just reminded me, Dawn, I know that this doesn't feel like it's okay. But if you will forgive, you are going to be okay. And I went in the house and I sat down. And at that time, I was still trying to save my marriage by myself, going to a marriage counselor by myself. That does not work, by the way. And you cannot save a marriage by yourself. But I was determined to hang on. And I just sat down and I wrote a letter at the same kitchen table where I had written that man in 1991. Here I was again, years later, writing a letter of forgiveness. And you know what God began to show me? It is a choice. If we wait until we feel like forgiven, I'm going to tell you, I'd still be waiting. And I would not be talking to you tonight about forgiveness because we are never going to feel like it. Forgiveness is a choice that we allow God to do a supernatural act within us. And so let's look at just um, for a few minutes at Matthew 18. Then Peter came to Jesus and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother? Seventy-seven times. And Jesus answered, I'm sorry, uh, up to seven times. And Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and all his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and choked him and he began to say, pay me back what you owe me. And his fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. 
When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive from your heart. Can you believe that's the very scripture that my sister's killer put in his letter? Y'all, when I think about how much I have been forgiven, I have not killed anybody, but I have spoken words of death. I've sinned against a holy God. I'm so good at it, if I got paid, I'd be a millionaire right now. I'm a sinner, and God sent his son to die for me. I was in a church in Charleston, South Carolina. It's been years ago now. And the pastor asked me to come and share a brief testimony and sing a song that I'm going to close with tonight that I wrote coming out of learning to forgive the man that killed my sister. And as I sat there that day, the pastor gave a message that I thought, that's it. That's what God did in my life. And I want to give you the three steps that he gave that day. There are three words that Jesus said on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. While my sin put him on that cross, and your sin, and the sin of that man that sat on death row for my sister's death, all of that was placed on God's son. And while absolutely holy and blameless, Jesus took it all on himself willingly. And he had love and mercy when he cried out, Father, forgive Dawn. She doesn't know what she's doing. And then you know what he said? These three words, it is finished. The debt paid in full. I will never forget the day that we were in the car with the kids going on another trip. Here we were again. And they started fighting in the back of the car again. I just didn't step in. I had heard Dr. Dobson say sometimes just let them duke it out. And I decided this was one of those times. And I just let them have at it. But you know what I heard? I heard Hannah say to Ross, Rossie, we really shouldn't fight. I'm sorry. And Ross had a speech impediment when he was little. And he said, I so give you, Hannah. And I remember the tears coming into my eyes because they got it. They got what their mama had been trying to teach them. I so give you. I forgive you. Ladies, can you just begin to imagine what it cost God that he gave his son for you and me so that we wouldn't just hoard all that grace to ourselves, but so that we would look at another one of his children and say, because of Jesus, not because of me, but because of his blood shed for me, I forgive you. Those are precious words to the Father because the price was great. The debt paid in full. That pastor that Sunday morning, he said, there are three steps to forgiveness. He said, number one, acknowledge it. Just acknowledge it. Acknowledge what it is. I was amazed at the testimony that I heard today of horrible abuse that I can't begin to fathom. And many of you in this place tonight have experienced abuse. I can't comprehend the depth of pain and scars in a life through the abuse by a loved one. But a lot of people, a precious friend of mine who experienced physical and sexual abuse, when I would talk to her about her story, and she would always say, it's okay, it's, it's okay. And I would say, Terry, it is not okay. What happened to you is not okay. And ladies, it's okay to acknowledge that, to say this was not okay, and to acknowledge it for what it was. And then the second step that he said was place judgment on that offender. No, maybe not like Hannah. <laughs> it's not okay. But to place judgment on that offender, you can say, what you did to me was wrong, and you have hurt me. But here is what I love. He said, transfer judgment from the offender, and you place it on Christ, who over 2,000 years ago, he paid the debt for that sin. You know what? The number one word used in the New Testament for forgiveness means you literally let somebody go. You cut them loose. 
It's like we think if we forgive them, we're letting them off the hook. But you know what? That's not our business. Forgiveness is handing over the responsibility of justice to God. And ladies, you leave it there. I heard it said, resentment turns into resemblance of the one who hurt you. Have you ever heard that? Resentment turns into resemblance of the one who hurt you. But grace is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. Grace is the fragrance the violet sheds on the heel that has crushed it. We are to be the fragrant aroma of Christ in this world. And if we're walking around singing somebody done somebody wrong songs, we are not being the aroma of Christ. We are being all about ourselves. I read a wonderful book in the healing process, and it was called Healing for Damaged Emotions by David Siemens. And I want to read just a portion of what he said about forgiveness. He said, God takes sins, failures, and hurts that happened earlier in your life, and he wraps his loving purposes around them to change them. The greatest illustration of this is the cross. There God took what from a human standpoint was the worst injustice and the deepest tragedy that has ever happened, and he turned it into the most sublime gift man has ever known, the gift of salvation where we grace one another and are gracious because we have been graced, because we know the joy of having seen the master tear up the charge card that we have spent way beyond paying. It's been canceled. He's torn it up. He doesn't add something more to it and say, well, I'll give you a little more time to repay. And so because he has set us free, we can set others free. In Jesus' words, freely, you have received freely. Give. I get a devotion on my computer from the Purpose Driven Life, and I want to read something to you that I got absolutely so speaks of why forgiveness is so important as bodies, as the body of Christ. It says, when people sin, you should forgive and comfort them so that they won't give up in despair, 2 Corinthians 2.7. In biblical fellowship, People will experience mercy. Fellowship is a place of grace where mistakes aren't rubbed in but rubbed out. Fellowship happens when mercy wins over justice. We all need mercy because we all stumble and fall and require help getting back on track. We need to offer mercy to each other and be willing to receive it from each other. The Bible says you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you. So you must forgive others, Colossians 3.13. The mercy God shows to us is the motivation for us to show mercy to others. You know what I've seen in my life? The greatest growth has always come from the times of greatest difficulty. What about you? The greatest growth has always come from the times when it has been so hard. And I can remember thinking that I had it all figured out, and I had forgiven, and then here I was again, angry. And I'm going to just tell you, as a single mom, it's been a work in my life, because when I had a bad day, guess what I played? I played the blame game, and I thought to myself, it's his fault that I'm in this boat. It's his fault that here we are, and blah, 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 blah. Somebody done somebody wrong song. Here we go again. You know what? There's no place for a somebody done somebody wrong song in forgiveness, ladies. Colossians 3 says this. If you want to turn there, I invite you to do that. Colossians 3, verse 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. And here's the kicker. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Ladies, how far are we supposed to go to forgive? What does it say right there? Forgive as you've been forgiven. You know, one of the songs that we sang said, Not my will, but yours. 
You know that Jesus, before he was crucified, he said, Father, if you can take this cup from me. If he were speaking like me, he would say, I wish you would. But it's not my will. Even Jesus said, God, Father, your will be done. Ladies, the only way that we can come to the place of forgive is saying, God, it is not my will. Because my will would never want to give that person forgiveness. But your will was that none should perish. That you loved your, this world so much you gave your only son. That whoever believeth in him, the man on death row and me in Sunday school every week, whoever believes in him won't perish, but will have everlasting life. My mom and I talked about it a lot, and we decided what a crazy thought it would be that if that man truly accepted Jesus as his Savior when he was executed years ago, y'all, he's in heaven. Mom said, can you imagine? He's in heaven with Sherry, and one day we're going to go. That is grace that I can't begin to fathom. But that's amazing grace, isn't it? That is grace, undeserved favor. I got a letter from a lady that I have to share with you years ago, and this is what she wrote. She said, Dear Dawn, I attended a Great Hills retreat around October of 1997 in Euless, Texas. As I sat there, really wondering why I was there, that nothing could help me get past what had happened to me. It was the last day, and I thought once again, no word from the Lord to me because I was unworthy of his love. I was a person of pent-up anger and hate and full of self-rage. When you began your story, I knew the Lord placed me there to hear your tragedy. I won't go into my testimony, but I was raped and completely oppressed. Upon hearing your words, the Holy Spirit moved in me in such a powerful way that I've never been the same since. I have also learned to forgive. Ladies, she goes on to say that after God brought her to the place of forgiving the man that raped her, she went on to seminary, and she got a degree in Christian counseling. And today, she is ministering to women who went through the same thing that she did, but because God brought her to the place of setting her free, she is now free to share her story with them. John 10.10 says the, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Do you know that that's what the enemy wants to do in our lives? When Sherry wrote in her letter all those years ago, don't let this ruin your lives, the enemy wanted it to ruin my life. He wanted it to ruin my testimony. He wanted me to never sing again for the glory of God. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy your life. But Jesus says, but I have come that they might have life and have it to the full. And you know what? I have life to the full because God showed me there was no reason to keep looking back because what's back there is what is back there. It will not change. And so our choice is to stand here where we are. And when forgiveness is needed, God says we are to forgive as we've been forgiven. When my mom was in the hospital, I was, sta I was staying in the hospital with her until she moved home. And then I moved, like I told you, with the children to stay there and care for her until her life ended. And she was in the hospital, and Hannah and Ross were staying with their dad and their stepmom overnight and on this particular evening Will was coming and we'd usually meet down in the parking garage to get the suitcases and the children to him after work and my mom said is Will coming to get the kids and I said yeah and she said would you call him on the cell and ask him to come see me so I called him and I said Will mom would like to see you would you come into the room so he came into the room and you have to understand my dad was in the room my brother my dad always said, don't ever let me get alone in a room with him and a baseball bat. <laughs> and so Will walked in very humbly. My mom called him over to the bed. She said, well, thanks for coming into the enemy camp, honey. <laughs> she was remarkable in that she always had a smile. And she knew how to speak the truth in love. She pulled Will over to the bed, and she said, come here. Come closer. Come closer. 
and she wrapped her arms around him. The man that broke her daughter's heart. But ladies, you know what God's showing me? Between life and death, so much just doesn't matter. When Sherry was between life and death, she just saw Jesus. When my mom was between life and death, I just think God gives you just this, just a vision we don't have right now. Because all the stuff of earth just doesn't seem to matter like it does to us right now. She hugged Will and she said, I love you, son. You will always be my son-in-law because you're the daddy to my precious grandbabies. She said, now, honey, you and I both know there have been times I wanted to paddle your fanny. <laughs> and at that moment, it was a turning point in his life and in our relationship. His voice choked, and he said, yes, ma'am, but will you forgive me? He never said he was sorry, and he ever, never asked for forgiveness. But you know what? She was offering that man grace, and he needed grace. There's not a one of us in this room that is not in need of grace. Undeserved favor. I need it. You need it. Not just, not just us, but people in this world need to know there is grace for them. He said, yes, ma'am, but will you forgive me? And my mom's last words to him were words of life. And he's not been the same since. She said, honey, I've already forgiven you. Now you walk out that door and you be the man God's called you to be. And it was as if she gave him permission to leave behind the mistakes. And he did. Ladies, I've made mistakes. You have made mistakes. We aren't just people needing to forgive other people. We need to be forgiven too. And as we walked to the parking garage that night, I looked over and the kids, just little kids, dragging their little suitcases on wheels. And I looked over and the tears were coming down my children's dad's face. And I said, Will, I am so sorry for what mom said to you. She's on so many drugs. <laughs> she doesn't know what she's saying. <laughs> and he was so humble. He said, no, Dawn. All she did was speak the truth. And ladies, I was on the computer nights later. I went home to just take a shower and pack new clothes and go back to the hospital. And I signed on the computer real quick, and it was late in the night. And Will popped up on I Am. And he began to say he was sorry. And that there was nothing that we could do. Our marriage could not be restored. But from this moment on together... We would seek God as best we could as Hannah and Ross's parents. And that we would seek to honor God and to forgive and leave the past. It is what it is. And forgiven, walk in the grace of God from this day forward. And I'm going to tell you, it has not been the same since. Last Monday night, Hannah, Ross, and I, Will and his wife and his mom and his dad and his sister and her husband, we all went out to eat at the Japanese restaurant together. And we took a picture. The, the, um, his mom was so gracious because the person came over with the camera and said, she, they said, is this one big happy family? <laughs> and she said, yes, it is. These are all my children. And I felt so blessed because she has still to this day allowed me to call her mom. Y'all, that's grace. We all need grace. She told me, even though Will and I would be divorced, she would never be divorced from me. And I'd always have a mom. Y'all, I've experienced grace. I've seen what grace does when somebody receives it that knows they don't deserve it. And it is transforming. And it is life-giving. And that is what God wants to do in you and then through you, because life is too short to sit around looking back and saying, I'm never going to forgive you because the person that is on death row is you. And I don't want to be that person. I signed on Facebook. Gosh, it's late. Mary, I'm sorry. We're going to close. I signed on Facebook, and I read this this week. I don't know who it's from. 
uh, because I don't really know those people that are my friends on there, a lot of them. <laughs> I'm just too nice not to say no. <laughs> but it said this, forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. Forgiveness does not change the past, but it does enlarge the future. I would have never thought I'd be going out to eat at Miyabi's with all them Jordan people. But God did that because we just extend grace to one another. Your future happiness may depend on your ability to leave the past behind. Did you know that? This morning as I was praying and getting ready to go to breakfast, the Lord just put in my mind the words east to west. East to west. And I started thinking about that. And I started thinking about that scripture where it says, the Lord removes our sin as far as the east is from the west. And he does not remember it anymore. Do you really think God forgets anything? But you know what God reminded me? He chooses to forget. He chooses not to bring it up in my face. Boy, I can flat do that sometimes. I can flat bring up what I said I never would again. But God has thrown mine as far as the east and from the west. Ladies, that is what forgiveness is. How far do we have to go to forgive? We lay down the rights that we really think we have when we really don't have any. And we say, God, it is not your will. It's not my will, but it is your will. Help me to be willing to forgive as you have forgiven me. I just challenge you tonight. I'm going to close with a song. I challenge you tonight. Is there somebody in your life that needs forgiving? A lady asked me, I think it was last night, if the man that killed my sister ever asked. And I said that he had. And she said, well, there's something that I need to forgive, but I can't because they never asked. And so I don't know that I have to. And she just really is struggling and seeking God. And very difficult situation that she's facing. And I said, you know what? Whether they ask or not, you're not responsible for them. But you are responsible for what you do. Regardless of whether they ever ask, the person that needs to be set free might be you. And God may use you being willing to forgive that person to truly set you free. You might be on a death row tonight of your own choosing because you think that person does not deserve forgiveness. They don't but neither did you. And so I just challenge you, be like Christ to that one. You will never know what God may do in their lives as a result of your very simple, willful choice of obedience to him and saying, by the grace of God, I forgive you. This song came out of learning to forgive the man that killed Sherry. And I'll just tell you, I pick up my somebody done somebody wrong song every now and then. But I choose daily to not do that and to walk in the grace of God.